Welcome to the Beyond Intuitive Eating Podcast, hosted by me, Beth Basham. I am a registered dietitian, certified intuitive eating counselor, and liberated body coach. I'm also a wife and mama to two amazing little people. With over 20 years of experience, I help women bridge food freedom with optimal health using principles of intuitive eating, foundations of emotional mastery, functional medicine, and neuroscience. This is the space where you get to end the war with your body and discover total confidence and true health from the inside out. The headlines on the war on obesity can be found at nearly every corner. Your news outlets, social media, and medical offices are all promoting their own solutions to this so-called obesity crisis that touts intentional weight loss in the name of health, drugs, and even surgery. It's become so pervasive that it's even affecting our children and how we approach their changing and developing bodies. But are all of these initiatives, this war, is it having any impact on their overall health, their wellness, or their body size? And is fatness the real issue here, or is there something deeper that needs to be exposed? How do we take the research and create an environment that tends to the unique health concerns of our youth so that they don't grow up living in a body that's shamed from a young age, so that they don't become preoccupied with food and body like so many of us are or were? How do we assist them in defining their own health values and grow up living in a body that may or may not meet the expectation of the medical system's definition of health. Now, while we don't have all the questions answered, nor can we solve all of these issues in under an hour, I hope you enjoy this conversation that I had with Dr. Rathbun. And for the record, if you're new to the term haze, it's something that we use in this episode here and there, it stands for health at every size. The term itself has existed since the 1960s, and it's a model that stands up against the prejudice towards extra weight or fatness that became a growing issue, a social issue, around the beginning of the 20th century. It's a research-based model that invites a perspective on health that doesn't require intentional weight loss and prefers to focus on health behaviors and not fatness as an indicator of a person's overall health and well-being, while also allowing health to be defined by that of the person living in the body. In other words, you. Now, Hayes is a registered trademark model through the Association for Size, Diversity, and Health. But when you hear it being thrown around in this conversation, now you know a tad more about what we're talking about. All right, here it is. All right, so in today's episode, I'm going to be interviewing Dr. Rathbun, a clinician with over 20 years of experience in various mental health service agencies as a therapist. She's a clinical psychologist, and she began her private practice in 2015 and has an office in New Haven, Connecticut, and also conducts individual and group therapy via telehealth. She's a certified intuitive eating counselor and a certified eating disorder specialist designated by the IAEDP. 
Dr. Rathbun teaches intuitive eating and mindfulness classes at Yale University and does related consultant work for different agencies. She's also trained in internal family systems, IFS, which is one of my personal favorite favorites, and EMDR, and works from a trauma-informed and haze, which if you don't know what that stands for, it's health at every size perspective. Her clinical interests include evaluation and treatment of disordered eating and trauma by helping people find peace with food, weight, and their bodies. And I just can't wait to talk more with Dr. Rathbun. Dr. Rathbun, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, you have such a vast experience and background. I just have to start this conversation today and ask you, what got you into the work that you're doing now? What brought you to this place of working through the haze lens as a you know certified eating disorder specialist? Tell me a little bit more about your journey. Yes, absolutely. I, I it started. I think um, I think when I was young, it was always interesting to me. Um, I grew up in a time of like slim fast, and when Weight Watchers was starting, and this became like a thing with. Um, I think a lot of my friends, we were teenagers and we wanted to, you know, quote unquote, um, look better and lose weight. And, you know, those last like whatever, five or 10 pounds. And, um, it it was such a norm. Um, and it, so it wasn't like odd that we were doing this at like 12 and 13 years old. And, um, it was around me. I think, you know, my family, they're wonderful cooks and, um, we had a lot of food, which was amazing. Um, and I think there was always diet talk just as part of the culture, um, and where I grew up and just in general, I think it was the time the zygist kind of going on then. So, I think that it came from that. I think it came from really struggling with my own body. I I think a lot of us in the field have our own kind of personal journeys to this. Um, And then becoming kind of more fascinated with like, um, what is this kind of normative discontent around our bodies that it seems like so many, especially, you know, back then. And I think now it's kind of a range of of folks um, struggle with, um, around like our bodies, no matter what size kind of they are. So um, I think it came from that. And then I started to um, get more uh, training and experience um, in those different areas as I became a therapist and then went to graduate school and um, for psychology. And then um, kind of, you know, I, I tried to get more training experience and and more clinical experiences and um, it became like something I really became more interested in and, you know, went to the extremes from kind of running and working a dieting kind of program, weight loss kind of group to now do groups around intuitive eating and finding, you know, peace with your body and, and, you know, focusing on health behaviors versus focusing on weight loss. So kind of, I've gone, um, I don't know if it's a full circle, but I've, I've come to a place where it's, it's not about the weight loss and it's not about changing your body. It's about having a more fulfilling life and not being consumed by all these dieting and, and kind of wanting to change your body ideas. I love that Dr. Rathbun. And I can actually relate to you so deeply 
because I had a history of disordered eating myself. And I love the term that you just used, normative discontent. And so many of us are living in this sea of diet culture is what we call it, where it's normal to diet. It's normal to, you know, drink the slim fast. I also grew up in that time where I was really uncomfortable in my body starting as a teenager. And it was as a result of just being influenced by all of these different, from all of these different angles that my body should look a certain way. And it, it is quite um, oppressive if, you know, if I look at it through the lens that I do now, but in the time it was normal. So I think you bring in a really beautiful point. A lot, a lot of listeners and people listening to this podcast can probably relate to this idea that this was normal. And so what I'm hearing you say is that it's, you're now through your clinical training and through your experience, this isn't normal this normative discontent, this discontent under it all is not normal. And your mission as a result of your own personal experience and your clinical training is to really help people remove that discontent and live their authentic selves or live their authentic lives without this threat of food and weight and all of these stimulus telling us what to do. Yes. That's right. And that's absolutely, it's so consuming. And that's what I found is that, you know, there's a whole life out here that we're not living because we are so stuck in these different ideas and unrealistic beliefs and goals. Um, so yes, that's, that's a great way of saying it. I like that authentic way of living. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love the work you do. I just, it's just makes me happy that there's therapists and people out there working towards this with people from different angles. And, you know, specifically today, I, I know that you had mentioned you had done a presentation with a colleague and you talked and presented on the AAP, which is the American Academy of Pediatrics Guidelines for Obesity. Okay. You had mentioned a conversation and a presentation on that. And I want to learn a little bit more and share that with the person listening today. Can you tell us a little bit about your presentation? Maybe, yes, absolutely. maybe first let's define what the AAP guidelines for obesity are and maybe, yeah, like, let's take it from there first. Like, what are those? Why would people even care about, right. about them first? <laughs> so it, so this comes from years and years of, right. There there's guidelines put out by the American association of pediatrics. Um, you know, obviously a very prestigious, amazing, um, association of, highly regarded uh, pediatric physicians in the field um, who are working with children and, you know, um, adolescents. Uh, and so it's it's coming from a place of like, you know, a lot of knowledge, a lot of power. And um, what's interesting is that, you know, I think there's a lot of contradictions in these guidelines. And I, I really do think that the intention is what you know well intended that it's coming from wanting to help um and also i think there's there's some issues uh, with the guidelines um so there's they're really looking at people you know from really you know young all the way to kind of you know teenagers and so some of the guidelines are different but it's really looking at um 
you know, why this could be a problem um, if someone is in a bigger body. I tend not to use obesity, the term, yeah. but I, I do when it comes to these guidelines, because that's how they, um, the languages. So um, it, it's really looking at that, that, you know, obesity has increased in this population and their concerns around that and really wanting to prevent that. Um, and so these guidelines are really about, you know, talking about, you know, what's worked, what hasn't worked, um, what does the research show, um, and, you know, what are some maybe ways that we can intervene, uh, kind of newer ways, especially when it comes to some of the medications and potential surgery recommendations. Um, Wow. When you say the word surgery, my whole body just, I could feel that like my whole like system drop somatically. I was like, Whoa, surgery, children, what, what are we doing? Um, and before you continue, Dr. Rathbun, I want to just point out like, this is, this is a meaningful conversation because so many people have children and when they embark on the intuitive eating pathway, they oftentimes have this deep concern for their own changes of their body that may or may not happen as a result. But in addition to that, there's a, there's this concern about their children, or if they don't have their own, what's happening with children, because the quote unquote war on obesity has become such a prevalent headline in the media, right? And the AAP, as I understand it, is kind of the the organization behind those recommendations, behind that quote unquote war that's going on. How do you perceive that word war on obesity? And I recognize, you know, obesity as a word we're just using for the context of this conversation. And it's not normally a word I think either one of us likes to use in context with our patient care. But yeah, sorry, just throwing it out there for anybody who's feeling triggered by that word as they're listening. Um, But yeah, tell me a little bit more in, in relation to how, I don't know, do you see that in your practice and, and then, yeah, share more about what your, uh, what your thoughts and feelings are on these recommendations and how you perceive them. Yes. Um, so I guess in terms of the word on obesity, I kind of cringe when I hear it because I think it's the wrong approach. I think even even the language that we're using, like a war on obesity, is basically to me saying that it's a war on people's bodies who have bigger bodies than us. And I think that that I mean, just kind of saying that out loud makes my skin crawl. Um, so I I think just even in the context of that, I think there's so much fat phobic language out there, and like that's automatically weight bias because it's like we're fighting someone's body to some degree. That's what it feels like to me when we're talking about it. Um, and so I think that it it's it's really it's kind of one of those things that I think we're focusing so much on the weight part in people's bodies that we're we're losing kind of the bigger picture. Like it's information, it's what's going on. Yes, people's bodies are getting bigger and and some of those people are children and, and yes, it's starting earlier. So, you know, what what kind of do we need to look at instead of maybe focusing so much on the weight? Like, um, why, why aren't we looking at kind of, you know, what else is going on in the world and the stress and the, the convenience of maybe certain foods and the, um, the expense of foods that a lot of people maybe can't afford other foods or they don't have the time to cook those foods or 
um, the fact that we're kind of always in a hurry. So a lot of maybe foods are tend to be the choice that we that we reach for. And, and also just kind of what it means, like the bigger picture of health to sleep well and, you know, be able to have some kind of movement, um, be part of your day and, uh, you know, just like living a life that isn't so much about um, always rushing and always being stressed. I mean, I think that these are really big components that we're not really necessarily tackling when we look at um, the war, quote unquote, on obesity. So um, yeah, that part of it. No, you're doing great. I, I love you're basically promoting this holistic angle to health. So tell me how that intersects with the guidelines themselves. So you presented on the guidelines that came from the American Academy Academy of Pediatrics. Are they in alignment with Hayes? Are they in alignment with this more holistic approach? What's interesting is that they talk about weight bias and how that's a problem. And they talk about um, how it really kind of, you know, kind of might need to be more of an individual um, choice and, and really looking at, you know, a lot of factors around the family and the child. Um, yet they continue to kind of <laughs> use weight bias and, and you know, recommend. Um, so there's these, um, the programs that they do um, that tend to be like the first round interventions um, tend to be like kind of a, uh, a certain amount of time, a limited amount of time. And it's a programmatic um, type of thing where they're meeting with like usually a dietitian and maybe a nurse and um, th like the family is, you know, nutrition is spoken about and that kind of thing. And there might be, you know, some kind of movement or something like that. Um, however, they don't have really the money for these programs. They tend to be expensive. They tend to be inconvenient because they're not necessarily like who can really afford to go necessarily an hour a week somewhere, um, you know, to a specific program. Um, so this is, this is what they used to do. Um, you know, this is what they've done a lot of research in and they've had mixed results. Um, but again, I think the focus has never been on kind of a Hayes perspective. Um, coming from a his perspective, it's 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 mainly been more of a medical model. Um, so not necessarily looking at all these other psychological factors that could be going on um, within the family, with the child, that kind of thing, um, which I think is really important to have more of an integrated care model. Um, and then, you know, the other lines of defense, which happen after, I hate to say defense, um, but the next steps would be potentially um, medications, um, usually uh, GLP-1 medications that are now used um, to treat, which, you know, some of them um, for type 2 diabetes, but um, now they're used um, with, they found that they help with, with weight loss um, and insulin resistance. So um, as young as 12, they're being prescribed. Um, wow. Which is concerning, right? And the, the thing about it is that there's a lot of different medications and I don't want to go outside of my scope. I'm not a, a medical doctor. Um, but some of these 
you know, some of what we were struggling with when we're, when we're putting the presentation together is there's not a lot of research. There's not barely any long-term research, never mind um, a good amount of research for just, you know, one specific medication with this age group, right? Um, which is really concerning. I mean, these are developing brains. These are kids as young as 12. And when we know um, in many that the brain isn't fully developed till sometimes mid twenties. So that, that's like a huge red flag, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I just want to synthesize something you said here. And it's like, you're seeing that the American Academy of Pediatrics is doing a great job of introducing this concept of weight bias. For example, we know that bullying in schools, I think it, I think the stat is right. Don't quote me on this, but something the 50% of bullying is weight related. So kids are challenged if they're living in bodies that aren't seen as normative. And there is this, this concern, um, that I think is shared by by different people in the medical community, parents alike. And we're looking at how do we approach this concern? And what I'm hearing you say is that we need to collectively as a community, as a world, look at this from a more holistic point of view where we take we take into consideration the different psychological aspects, the privilege in different families. Um, all these different things are important. And I'm hearing you also say jumping to medications as the solution to the problem may not be efficacious or really research-based. Um, so there might be some concerns and problems that lie within that. And I would agree as a dietitian, um, I don't spend my time in the research on GLP meds, but I, I do instantly feel it in my body when you say giving them to 12 year olds. I just, there's a lot of things that just come up in my brain as a red flag there. So I really value your holistic approach to this. In evaluation of the AAP guidelines, what do you want to see more of from that, that psychological perspective? You mentioned some barriers to care, right? Driving long distances, participating in group meetings. I don't know. Maybe this is a question we don't have an answer to, but what do you see as a way to support these families um, that may or may not be these you know, container, short containers that are finite in time and that can actually create change. Like what do you, what do you see could be a support to this quote unquote well, problem, think, which, yeah. you know, is arguable. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. I think that's the million dollar question. Um, well, I, obviously I feel like some of this, the is, is it's, you know, it's all of it is very, is complex and it's so many different factors, right? But I think, you know, there's so many realities here that we're not really acknowledging. Um, like you said, um, you know, not everyone can get to a meeting. I think, you know, what if, you know, the availability of having something online, which I do think a lot of programs now and, and there are a lot more opportunities to be online maybe, but then what if someone doesn't have a computer or internet or something like that? I think that, you know, some of this is is education. I think some of this is like changing bigger systems here, right? Like, um, you know, being able to have some of this information available. Like, you know, I think, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but <clears throat> driving, sometimes there's these big billboards that say, you know, I don't know, but in Connecticut, I've seen them. Um, that say like, you know, fight child obesity and this kind of thing. 
I think that some of those messages are so they they reach a huge amount of people, right? And so there's this message that as long as we're trying to fight something, I think it becomes so difficult, right? Versus like being able to be educated, being able to have um, you know, more access to like a range of foods you know, different fresh foods and in all communities and not just privileged communities or people who can afford it. I think some of it is also, um, you know, um, making sure that um, we have good sleep hygiene. I mean, I think some of this is also the problem is a lot of us aren't necessarily sleeping or kind of role modeling that for our kids, which I know is really difficult, but I think it's really an issue, right? Um, you know, I think just moving in general, like having more, um, you know, maybe promoting more, um, like a billboard around movement and how important that is. And it doesn't have to be, you know, running a race or it doesn't have to be going to a class every week. It's just maybe, um, taking a walk or doing some stretching. And, you know, I want to, um, also, consider people who have limitations around that, right? So it's really, you know, kind of more of an individual, um, what people have um, have access to, right? Um, and I, and so I do think, I, I think some of it is changing attitudes so that when you do go to the doctor or your child goes to the doctor, it's not about um, weight. And, and if there's a weight question, I think the pediatrician should be talking to the parent first and not necessarily not in front of the child, right? I think that these are questions. I think the more parents know um, that their child's um, weight shouldn't, you know, be a huge factor here. I mean, I understand that it can be extreme and that's important to talk about and it can be concerning. So Obviously, there's medical reasons that we need to be monitoring, you know, kids as they're growing. Um, but I think to to looking at, you know, not making everything about diet and weight loss, to looking at these other factors that we don't necessarily talk about or consider, I think that's the way, right? I think that we're going about this the wrong way. There is a problem, right? There's a lot of there's a lot of issues and there's information we're getting. Um, around, um, you know, but it, it's not about the weight loss. I think ultimately it doesn't mean that maybe someone's body isn't going to lose some weight, right? Nobody's saying that's a bad thing. It's the intentional part of it. And it's the targeting it so much that we're losing the perspective of like, what does health even mean? Oh my gosh. So much good stuff here. I, I want to take a minute just to, again, repeat back what you said, because I think there's so much goodness here and so much I can agree with, you know, when we look at a health at every size perspective, both, both you and I are aligned in that way. We're looking at weight is not the behavior and what we're targeting in this quote unquote war against bodies is that the body is the problem and fat tissue is the problem. And what we're realizing is through research is it's not the actual fat tissue on the body that's causing all the chronic disease like we might think it it does. There's some correlative research out there. We do know there's certain there's very limited um chronic illnesses that are related to uh fat tissue accumulation, but for the most part, 
the stigma of living in a bigger body is actually more of a stress load to the body. So that think, think that bullying that the children receive at school, um, the lack of sleep, right? This is another stressor on the body, the inability to access foods that have more nutrients in them. That's another stressor to the immune system. And if you look at all these actual behaviors, which weight is not a behavior that's contributing more to the health issues that are being seen in these younger adolescents and children than the weight itself. And I think that's a really important thing to drive home. Don't you, Dr. Rathbun? It's like, you know, we see the, the body is the problem. The body isn't the problem. It's the behaviors, both psychologically, physically, you know, you talked about movement being a part of this. Those are the things we want to address. And I don't know about you, but we want to do it in a way that's positive. Absolutely. When I hear war, I instantly go into fear. I go into a state of nervous system. Holy crap. We have got to fight, fight this or else like our, our survival is being threatened. Whereas if we want to really approach this, we have to do it from a place of regulation of feeling like we got this, we can do this together as a community, as a a family, you know, um, if you're really looking at the, at that smaller group, um, anyway, sorry, I went off on a bit of a soapbox there, but I'm just like, so passionate. I'm writing this conversation right along with you. What can you add to that? No, I, I would just agree with you. And I would say that I think it's, it's really, it's really not, I think being, it's not an effective way. And if you really stand back and think about it, it, it's not, it's not necessarily working, right? Because we're seeing that that it's, you know, these statistics are are my understanding is that obesity is is increasing, right, as we go here. And um and again, I think that my under, the medical community would argue that these medications and you know, potential other treatments can help that. Um and and I guess I'm coming at it from more of a proactive, preventative place of like, let's try some intuitive eating. Let's like start to, um, you know, work from a haze perspective and consider, you know, each individual and where they're coming from and who they are and their own experiences and believe them and treat them um, respectfully and with compassion, right? Not to to walk into a doctor's office and be told and shamed about your weight is not helpful to be told to stop eating so much or restrict this or restrict that. I I think that, you know, it's, it's, it's really, it's dehumanizing to some degree. Like we know that, and, and, and the other part of this is we know this from research that intentional weight loss does not work in 96 plus percent of the time. Right. And the other part of this is, is that we know the number one risk factor for um, youth to eventually develop or, or have an eating disorder young is dieting and restricting, restriction, right? So I think that's the other part of this that we're missing. Um, and that this is what, you know, some of these medications and, and kind of some of the goals um, that clients, you know, whether their children or adults are being asked. We would never 
tell someone in a thinner body, you know, to do these things we're asking people in a larger body to do. And that's doesn't make sense. Messed up. It is. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I also would argue that there is an element of this that has to be done as the family unit, right? Breaking down the stigmatization from that core level within ourselves. So if you're listening and you're a parent, we can't address quote unquote, the war on obesity. I just use that for terminology here, but we can't address the health and wellness of our next generation. If we are still battling our own weight stigma, our own fat phobia, our own issues related to our body image, right? So I know for me, one of my driving factors in the work that I do is shifting my own self-perception to support that perception of my daughter and my son, right? I have a, a one of each and they're both going to be affected by diet culture on some level. The best thing I can do is work on my own biases, my own perspective on health and hope, you know, that through that lens, they will soak some of that up. So when they go into the world, they can, they can take that with them, right? I can't protect them from all and everything that they'll be exposed to, but I can do what I can do. Do you think that there's that element where the parent, you know, the parent needs to take their own, you know, take time with their own health and weight perspectives and, and work on shifting that as a means to supporting their children. Definitely. I think that's a major factor in all of this is considering our own individual um, biases and, you know, our own concerns and ideas and beliefs around weight and body and our own body and our own experiences. Because like you said, it's, it's, it does really start there. Um, I think, you know, if you're dieting or you're restricting food in the house, kids are going to see that even if it's not talked about so much we know, right, from kids is is what they're perceiving and what they're seeing, not always, you know, verbal, right? So I think that that's so important and how we talk to our bodies or how we see our bodies or how we move through the world with our bodies is also going to be picked up by our kids. And so I think that's so important um, to consider and really acknowledge um, having kids. Yeah, I don't even realize it sometimes, right? Some of it is so subconscious that we've we've come to believe and we all have these, right? We all have these to a certain degree, these biases. Yeah. And I think we start to break down that terminology you used earlier, that normative discontent. We start with our own relationship to food and our bodies and through the work that we do on ourselves, we begin to open the doors for our children to walk down a path of wellness that's right for them. Because I heard you say something else earlier and you said, we need to define health on our own terms. And I know that's a strong core principle of the Hayes way is to really take a step back. And instead of letting the external world tell you what health should look like, should feel like, should be, we can actually claim that back for ourselves and empower ourselves to say, you know what, this is what is important to me. This is what my wellness solution or plan looks like. Can you speak to that on any level? Yeah, I think that that's so important and it really is the core of Hayes. Um, I think that that's become 
um, really difficult in the age of healthcare now, considering that we have limited visits and and how expensive healthcare is, and you know um, sometimes how short um, you know just being able to meet with your primary care. And I don't mean to just blame the medical field. I think it's very complicated with insurance and all of that. But I think that. I think it's getting back to our core principles, whether we're a psychologist, a dietitian, a medical professional, is that, um, right, our goal is to help people and to really know them as an individual person and see them um, as who they are and, and where they feel like they need help versus telling them what they need or saying, you need to do this because this is what other people do and this is the way, right? I don't know that. I don't know their experiences. I'm not living in their body. I think that that is so important. And it, it comes back to just, I think, core values of being, um, you know, a human service professional, right? And um, to some degree, um, and really seeing a person and really understanding them from their perspective. Um, That's so important. Yeah. It's, I think, something that if you've been working under a haze aligned or intuitive eating model that it, it's a practice. It's a learned behavior, um, to really support that whole, that whole person. And yet, I don't know about you, but I still meet a lot of resistance with my own clients around intentional weight loss and around this. I want to have this food freedom and I want to have, you know, be comfortable in my body. And I want all these things, and I still want to lose weight. I still have this desire that I'm clinging to. And I know this is deeply rooted, right? In our subconscious, in our body, in our generational, you know, lineage, might I say, you know, there's a lot there that we have to pull apart. I'm curious, how do you approach this? Because we talked about the importance of addressing our own internal weight stigmas and concerns around body image in order to help the younger generation. So what do you say to a client? I, I know it's probably a huge question. What is the initial approach you might take, right? This is all dependent on the person, but what might you say to, or help someone with who's like, yeah, I want this food freedom. I want this, like really this peace with my body. I want all those things, but I still want to lose weight. And that's really important to me. It's such a great question. And it's something that I feel like has evolved when I first, you know, kind of started doing this. I, you know, like I had said before, it was around like weight loss, like you can have both, you can have this, you know, peace with food and also lose weight and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then I, you know, started to read more and, you know, get more involved in, you know, what is what is haze? What, what would that look like? And I think I became so extreme toward like more of, um, of like, no, you can't like, there's no, um, it's not okay to want to lose weight. It's not okay. We have to like change that. We have to change our mentality around that. We can't. And I, I think I probably scared some clients off. I feel bad, you know, um, that I, and I also think it's important to acknowledge, like, you know, as someone in an average body that that's not really, that's not, even if I was in whatever body, but I think especially being, a, you know, kind of a white cisgender person in an average body, that's really unfair to be like, no, you shouldn't want to lose weight. Of course you want to lose weight. Of course, you know, I think the majority of people want to lose weight. And I think that that's like completely understandable. And I have so much compassion. And I think that I've come to a place where I really believe in body autonomy. And I, I really believe that, you know, everyone 
can have whatever goals they want and they should, and that's their body and they know best. And I don't want to take that weight loss goal away because that's real. And, and they know their bodies and they know how they've experienced life in that body and, and how they want to be. Um, so I try to respect that and just meet them where they are. And also, you know, sometimes um, consider, you know, ask them like, just to get curious about it around like, you know, would you ever consider focusing on these kind of health behaviors, you know, like um, intuitive eating and that kind of thing, um, you know, learning to be more clear with hunger and fullness and body attunement and um, really taking care of yourself in these different ways with sleep and movement and that kind of thing um, versus focusing on the number on the scale. And, you know, some people will say, yes, I want to do that or, or shift or but it's in their own time. And I really feel like that's important yeah. to respect that. And sometimes that's not going to happen. And that's okay. I have clients who are on an Ozempic and it's, it's working out for them and they find it has been really, really helpful to them. And I have clients who've had weight surgery and, you know, I respect that. I, I respect um, their experiences and where they are and we can still work together, right? It's, it's going to look different. I think it's that individual path again. Yeah. And I, I resonate with that because I've done the extremes as well in my own practice. And I've also come, and I always like to explain it to people as a, a way to look at the world. It's almost like a paradox or some duality in that we can want two things for ourselves at the same time. <laughs> and in this specific circumstance, we can want weight loss and we can want food freedom or peace with our body. And we have to work as slow or as fast as our slowest parts in this process, where we want to really tend to the parts of ourselves that still do desire weight loss, while also on the same at the same time, which is possible, to work towards food freedom in a way that's meaningful to us. So it's really defined by the individual is what I'm hearing you say too. Yes, absolutely. I love that. I love it so much. I could talk to you all day long. I really could. You have so much great stuff to to talk about. I wish we lived closer. We could grab a coffee and continue this conversation. <laughs> I also know there's limited time. And I do want to ask you, because you do have a private practice and you do work with clients, tell us a little bit about where people can find you and if they enjoyed this to learn a bit more about you and your practice. Yes, absolutely. Um I work with individuals um, in different formats on telehealth as well as um, in person. And um, I do, I'm at, um, I'm on Instagram at um, pause process peace. And I'm on the web at um, therapy with elizabeth.webs.com. Awesome. We will have this all in the show notes for a listener who is curious. You can just pop open your show notes and click on the clickable links uh, for her work. And you said you also do an intuitive eating group. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yes, I run intuitive eating groups throughout the year. They're almost always online now since COVID. And I'm doing one um, coming up actually at the end of February with um, a dietitian. Um, and so we're kind of tag teaming intuitive eating and kind of going beyond and trying to help people really individualize what health means to them um, from a haze perspective. And so- very excited about that. Um, but yes, I, I love intuitive eating. It's, it's so, it's been like such a wonderful, um, addition and tool set to, to share with others. 
I love that. So they can find that information on those links. Yes. Awesome. Any last parting words of wisdom, Dr. Rathman, that you would like to share with the person listening today? I would just say that I, I think that, um, you know, from all of this, I think one of the most important uh, concepts to consider um, that we can learn from, you know, whether it's a haze perspective, intuitive eating, and really getting away from the diet and fitness crazed industry is like learning self-trust. And I think that's something that a lot of us um, have kind of moved away from given some of the things we've learned and, and come to believe about our bodies and, and dieting and all that. And I think that ultimately, you know, when you can kind of learn to trust more that like the inner wisdom and, and really get to know yourself is when you create like a life you want and you are able to kind of function and, and find like that food freedom, that body, you know, kind of maybe respect that, that you've been looking for. So. Thank you. That was beautiful. Beautifully said. Well, it's been my sincere pleasure today. Thanks for being on my podcast. And for anyone listening, I do hope you check out Dr. Rathbun's work. Uh, it was a pleasure having you today. Thank you. It's been wonderful talking to you. Hey there, beautiful soul. Do you ever find yourself caught in an endless loop of negative thoughts about your body and feel like you're in a constant war with what and how much to eat? If so, you're not alone. Reading a book, listening to a podcast, or talking to a friend may not be enough to help you experience total confidence with food and your body. For this reason, I have reopened my group coaching program, Peace with Food and Soul, a four-month immersive space where you get to finally shed food and body guilt for good. I have dozens of testimonials from happy clients who will never spend another cent on diet culture solutions because they have created health, mind, body, and soul, from the inside out in this program. Check out the show notes for a link to more information. If joining a small community who gets you is just what you need to accelerate your journey. Thank you so much for listening in today. I am so grateful. If you enjoyed this podcast, I ask that you share it with a friend who might also benefit. And if you want even more support on your food and body journey, please check the show notes for information about my free Facebook group and private coaching opportunities. See you next time.